So did you ever dial, what was it, uh, 411 when that was a thing? I don't think I did. No. Yeah, you could, before people were using search engines predominantly, you could call a number and you could ask them questions. Normally, you just ask what movies are playing at this theater at which time. Um, but you could ask any question you wanted to know what the weather was like. Um, I called a lot to get the phone number of different places because you didn't have a phone that had the internet on it <laughs> initially. Yeah. So if you didn't know the phone number you needed to call, you'd have to call information. <laughs> who are you calling at this point? How old were you? What are you, who are you calling? I was a preteen. Gotcha. <laughs> Nobody important. Like I said, I used 411 <laughs> to find business numbers uh, and to find out what movies were playing in a pre-movie phone world. Yeah. And now we're I in a post-movie phone. You called what? Kramer. Why don't you just tell me what movie you want to see? I'm a big fan. <laughs> yes. All right, should we start? Let's do it. This is Net Romancer. I thought if I I thought if I stopped and let you finish, I was curious to see what would happen. I never know where you're going with it. So Really? I thought it's pretty predictable. I'm going to say necromancer. That's what I say every time. Yeah, but how you say it. Okay, okay. I'll I'll keep that in mind. Well, my name is Shira. I'm a rom-com fan. My name is Brett. I'm a horror movie fan. What do we do here at Necromancer, Brent? Oh, well, each week we watch some movies, and that's it. So you pick a, a rom-com movie, I pick a horror movie, we watch and review and recap the movies, and then we remix the movies. What, what, what? Remix. We turn the rom-com into a horror and the horror into a rom-com. That's right. And previously we covered 976 Evil as part of our telephone theme. And this week we are covering the lovely, the exuberant, the joyful Pillow Talk. Pillow Talk. Now you're much more um, well-versed in the older movies than I am. So is this a movie that you had seen before? Yes, okay. several times. Gotcha. This this is a classic. This is this is up there with the Thin Man when we're talking about you know power romance couples. Doris Day and Rock Hudson are huge. Okay, when you say the Thin Man, do you mean the characters of Nick and Nora, or do you mean the actors who played Nick and Nora? Well, it's a blend because. Myrna Loy and William Powell are so connected with those characters in our mind. They just did dozens of movies together where they were a couple. Even when they weren't Nick and Nora, they right. had that vibe. And then Rock Hudson and Doris Day, Pillow Talk is their first 
romance together, but they had such incredible chemistry. And of course, this being sort of the last gasp of studios, they they knew you know some money makers when they saw one. I think it's it's one of those things where when you like movies like Notting Hill, I feel like they want to make lightning strike twice, where they're like, we have all of these couples of the past that made all of these great movies together. Why can't we just take two giants and make the next Pillow Talk? But you just you can't get that kind of easy chemistry except by chance. Yeah, I thought that they both had very good chemistry. And just like with um, 976 Evil uh, and um, uh, ni- just like with 976 Evil and Leap Year, I also thought of The Thin Man when I was watching this movie. The banter, all the volleying yeah. back and forth felt very Thin Man-like. Yeah, it was... Um, Thin Man was a very healthy, good relationship. And this movie feels like it kind of is a healthy, feel good relationship. But it's also, you know, it's also uh, weird because he's lying to her. (laughs) Oh, he he really, really lies to her. Oh, big Um, time. But before we get right into it, I I should explain. So the whole reason that I even suggested a telephone theme was really just a way to get us to watch Pillow Talk. So I would say that Pillow Talk came to my mind first as in, I need to make Brett watch Pillow Talk. Uh, But then I worked backwards from that and thought, ooh, what about a telephone theme? So that is really how this came about. I I was very interested in rounding out your rom-com education with this movie. Yeah, we've definitely done that a few times where we've reverse engineered the theme from like, I just kind of feel like watching this movie this week. Um, But yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a good, I thought it was a good theme. I did not think I would like either one of these movies. (laughs) But I enjoyed both of them. I liked them both a lot. Oh, I'm so glad yeah, to hear really that. Good. I think also, you know, we talk all the time about how rom-coms don't have to be cinematic. And I still think that that's true. But there are some really cute little cinema touches to this movie. The split screen, the opening with the pillows, the set design, the costuming, it all comes together very aesthetically and feels like it's not just, you know, going through the motions to put a scene together to pose these actors. They really wanted to create this this sort of image and brothy little rom-com world. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it takes place in... in- the real world, quote unquote, but like with Boomerang. New York's a character. <laughs> but like with Boomerang, where you said um, pretty much all rom-coms are sci-fi movies to a degree, like this movie is kind of like a sci-fi movie. And they treat it like, yeah, they set the atmosphere for everything through the costuming, through the sets, through the dialogue, through the characters. Everything is to build this world where this premise could fit. So 
Yeah. So you want to tell the kids the story of Pillow Talk? Oh, yes, I do. Um, I tried to keep my my um, my summary pretty short and sweet because there's a lot of there's just a lot of great details in here. And I can't, if I, if I try to hit one, I'm going to try to hit them all. So there's a lot of, every scene just has so much packed into it that. Yeah. Very thin man. Like in that yeah, way, you got to just watch it. Um, so we get into things right away. We meet Jan, who is a successful interior decorator and she's very focused on her career and she is not looking for a relationship. And we also meet Brad Allen, who is a Playboy songwriter who is more concerned about scoring with women than his musical sheets, which was a nice little line in the movie. Uh, and he's a hound dog, and he is definitely not looking for a relationship. So, guess who's gonna end up together? <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it them? Is it them? <laughs> uh, no spoilers. Uh, so, we also meet Jonathan. Jonathan is a desperate, whiny, sleazy, needy, selfish, egocentric, narcissistic, self-centered, self-serving, hopeless romantic in the sense that any romance for him is hopeless. He is scum. He is pure scum. And Tony Randall is as charming as ever. Uh, Oh, he's so good. He plays this role so well. It's... It's impossible to be mad at him, even though his character is a total so scumbag. So selfish and so invasive. <laughs> so invasive. Uh, you can get away with this as a character. You cannot get away with this as a real-life human being. Please do not idolize Jonathan as a person. Uh, I mean, when is the rich guy going to get a win, right? Yeah. yeah. And do not try to uh, take the rich guy's throne because he will fight for every penny. Uh, he's in he's in the millionaire minority. Uh, so we also meet Elma, who's Jan's housekeeper maid, and she shamelessly eavesdrops on everybody. And she's also crazy alcoholic. Yeah, she works pretty hard, but she parties even harder. Oh yeah. So the big premise is. Brad and Jan share a party line. Uh, he takes up most of the line wooing women. She can't get through to make her business calls. She she hates him. He teases her. He's very much just like getting pleasure and getting a rise out of her and stuff. But then due to sitcom circumstances, Brad Allen ends up at the same nightclub as Jan one night. And he spontaneously creates a made-up persona named Rex Stenson. Who Which is, is crazy because if you're a Texan, it's like he's saying his name is King Cowboy Hat. Right. It's very funny. I And I, then also a- Giant was made like a couple years before. So it, it feels very referential to Giant, which is... One of the most famous Texas movies ever made. Um, Pre-COVID, they played it every single summer at the Paramount for classics at the Paramount. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Rock Rock Hudson is a Texas Texas movie star, too. So I, I thought that was just funny because it's like, oh, he's doing the, the Texas thing again. Yeah, Sonia and I recently went to uh, the place where they shot giant marfa right marfa texas and we stayed in mm-hmm. the same room that james dean's same room uh james we stayed in the room that james dean stayed in and so we watched giant 
in the room and it was the first time I'd ever seen it and it's pretty good. Um, but yeah, he's, he's super Texan in that movie and here he gets to play like a cartoony characterized version of that Texas persona. So I'm glad that I saw giant because when I saw this movie, I was like, Oh, he's doing silly giant. (laughs) Right. He says he owns a mountain. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, what is his plan? His plan is to prank Jan into falling for him as a joke. You know, it's all a prank, bro. It's just a prank, bro. Come on, lighten up. Uh, and so this goes about as good as you would imagine. Brad taunts Jan by planting questionable ideas in her head about his intentions, about his sexuality. And he basically mind fucks her at every opportunity he gets. And Jonathan is still obsessed with her. And once he finds out who Rex is, he threatens Brad into going away to his Connecticut cabin to get his musical writing done. Cause Jonathan is also like his producer agent manager guy and i loved the uh the piano player when she sees the whole exchange after doris day goes to the restroom she sees the whole exchange between uh brad allen and jonathan and then and then he fucking lies and then he lies get- and then he calls him out as being a liar in the song it's very yes. meta and funny and silly I think, you know, like he gives her a little wink and she's like, oh, you like they play, even though it's absolutely despicable what he's doing, they play it off as very light and silly. But I think it works because the movie is a light and silly movie. I don't know. Um, Oh, yeah. Keep going. There's so many more shenanigans where that came from. But I like how how Brad Jonathan comes up to Brad and is like, listen, I'm not going to tell her. Right. Because I don't want to break her heart because i do like her but you've got to get away from her and you got to get away from this situation and you got to let her you got two minutes to let her down gently then get out of here and go to my cabin and brad without missing a beat is like hey jan i gotta go to this cabin you want to come with me and she's like "Ooh, don't mind if i do so like immediately he turns it to his advantage um and not only is she coming with him she's coming with him because she wants to fuck him oh yeah Big time. But she doesn't do that kind of stuff because she's career minded and she's not looking for a relationship. I just think, you know, like because it's the 60s, right? Or it's 59. They they still have to be very coded about it. But it's very clear that she is looking forward to this incredible lay with this six foot six man who owns a mountain. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't blame her. He's a good looking guy, that Rock Hudson. So, and he's a charmer. Um, However, at the cabin, she discovers one of his songs. He's a songwriter, right? So he usually schmoozes up to the ladies. And she's an interior decorator who just knows how to read sheet music. Well, I don't know. There's plenty of people who did music as a kid that probably go around not doing anything musically career-wise, but still know how to read music. Come on. I suppose so. So she... um, so he he basically schmoozes up with all these women. He sings them all the same song. He just replaces the name with whoever he's singing it to. Sometimes he changes the language. You know, he's very romantic, uh, but he's also very sleazy and gross and cringy. Uh, but he's so charming. Ugh. And so 
she is she is absolutely traumatized. She reacts to it like any normal person would, which is she storms out on him. Jonathan shows up just in the nick of time to be her hero. And, you know, um, she's crying and he gets that one final little line in of like, you could have at least brought your own champagne. Very funny. And then we get the bit of like, She's crying on the way home, and then 60 All miles the later, still crying, and he's like, oh, women, am I right? And then it's so funny, because they go to get a cup of coffee, and he's like, she's crying, and he's kind of a jerk, and all these men around him think he's being a jerk to her, but he's not being a jerk to her. He's consoling her, but also... He's totally a jerk. So they punch him and it's totally it's he totally deserves it, but he didn't deserve it for that reason. So the movie's very fun and silly because it's like, yeah, he deserves to get punched and we do not feel bad for him at all. Uh and then he's like sipping his coffee out of a straw. He's he's a very lovable loser. Uh but uh What's his name? Brad. Brad wants redemption. He goes to Elma. He gets her drunk at a bar, but she gets him even more drunk at a bar and she is very smart and she lays out the plan for him, which he remembers in a very daisy hungover way the next morning. I also think there's a nice little callback where when Brad is being Rex Stenson and he's talking about the, the, I mean, we'll talk about it more, but he's talking about the drunk boy who had too much liquor and is making a fool of himself He's like, you know, yeah, don't don't drink something older if you can't handle it. He's basically saying like older women are feistier and, you know, you have to know how to handle them. (laughs) And he did not know how to handle. He did not know how to handle Alma. She drinks him under the table. But the plan is that he's going to hire her to be his interior decorator. And she accepts, right? Because for him, he's thinking, oh, that means she likes me if she accepted because he's thinking marriage. He fails to recognize the pettiness of women when we're angry. uh, He's thinking marriage and she is thinking revenge. So, of course, she redecorates his room, his apartment, and it's super gaudy and gross. And even the cat. I would live there. I would live there. Uh, even the cat wouldn't live there. The cat's terrified of it, but they, you know, he kind of like yells at her and then he's kind of like, I'm storming out. And she clicks the little rape room switch and locks him in the room. It locks the door. (laughs) First time, the first time I saw it happen, I was like, Ooh, real rapey. But then I was like, you know what though? He is a scumbag, but he's not. He flips the switch after consent has been well established. The switch isn't to lock them in. It's to keep out any interruptions. Because clearly the 1950s and 60s, there's tons of interruptions happening. Well, yeah, because people actually went to each other's houses. Phones were such in their infancy that you had to share them with other people. So I, I did think it was like... Whoa, this is this is a little rapey inappropriate, right? But then I was like, you know, it's it's not that bad. And they have fun with it. Like, you know, she says, I have to decorate this spider's web, right? Because she's thinking he's just gonna continue being a womanizer, but really when she locks him in, it's like, aha, I got you. And so she turns the tables on him. 
And so it's cute and it's fun. And, you know, there's there's plenty of jokes and through lines that I missed. Obviously, there's the doctor gimmick because it ends on the doctor note where they think he thinks he's a woman. And then there's the Tony Randall's got the psychiatrist bit where he's always, you know, he's talking about his psychiatrist. And then at the end, he says, eh, you know, on advice of my psychiatrist and dentist, I decided to stop, you know, whatever. And he's got, you know, the sore mouth. So there's just tons. There's tons of little one-liners, little things, little moments that are in this movie. This is a very well-written. I'm surprised it wasn't based on a stage play or anything because it feels very much along those lines, you know? Right. But I mean, there were some moments that I feel like they could only really be rendered in film. Like, I don't know how yeah. you would stage design for the, um, the bathtub scene, for example. Right. Well, you just have two different apartments, right? On two. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the, the, the scenes where they're flirting on the phone, there's a lot of mirroring composition wise. Her phone line goes down to the bottom right corner. His goes down to the bottom left corner. So it kind of looks like they're talking to each other on the same line. The bathtub is obvious mirroring as they put their feet up. Uh, the mirroring of the posture in bed as she's laying down talking to him and his split screen only takes up the top corner. It's, it's a very cinematic movie. It's a very clever movie. It's a very fun movie. It definitely has fun with its premise. Yeah, I enjoyed oh, yeah. it all around. I, how did you like seeing Rock Hudson get into that tiny car? Oh, yeah. How silly and stupid was that? But it's, you know, it's like, yeah, if you're going to take a I minute. I loved it. If you're going to take a minute out to do something stupid like that, they build it up. Like, it's one of those things where, you know, you know guys like it's weird that a guy would drive a lady's car if he doesn't know her but i think that's more of a cultural thing back in the day and yeah so, but it's funny that they set it up where she's like no you don't have to drive me home he's like no i insist and she's you know like she already knows that he's a giant man who's not going to fit in her car so she teases him as he's getting in and he's very lighthearted about it he's joking back with her and then they end the scene with like, maybe we should call a cab. And he's like, yep. <laughs> and so it's what cute did, and it's fun. And What did you think about the march across town where he literally came to her apartment, went into her bedroom where she was sleeping under a heated blanket, picked her up. <laughs> Yeah. And carried her all the way to his apartment. He caveman kidnaps her and no one bats an eye. People are like, Not oh, even the police. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought, you know, I, I definitely could see people rolling their eyes or scoffing or getting offended at this. But again, like at the end of the movie, she traps him. So in a way, this is all part of her plan. And in a way, what she's saying is like, yeah, you done goofed up and you got to pay for it. But at the same time, we do like each other. And, you know, at the beginning of the movie, she's got some lessons to learn. At the end of the movie, he's got some lessons to learn. They have a baby within three months. Yeah. That's very soon. That's very soon. You're right. That's very quick. Um, they got busy. So, yeah, they did not wait too long. Um yeah, so I thought it was cute and fun and harmless and light and silly. And it's just like, I don't like these things where I, I generally don't like this kind of movie where it's the sort of 
movie where they're just setting you up for the big fight, you know, but this movie isn't just setting you up for the big fight. Every scene along the way is just thoroughly enjoyable and there's hijinks and there's touching moments and he's a total asshole, but then it's like, no, he needs to settle down with someone who is on his level. Like he shouldn't settle down with any of those other women. He needs to settle down with Jan because Jan's, Telling cool it like lady. it is. Yeah, she's a cool she's a, lady. She's a boss lady. She's the end of her party line is tight. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was wondering if you had any general thoughts or if you had any specific scenes that you wanted to highlight. I just, general thought this movie is like eating a cupcake, it's aesthetically pleasing. It's adorable. It's sweet. It's enjoyable to consume. It might not be as trendy as it once was. Mm -hmm. Clearly, cupcakes are over when it comes to trending desserts. It's all about Taiyaki now. Uh, Don't quote me. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, yeah, I just, it's so cute and exuberant and having fun with itself. Uh, And then I just think that it's very clever as far as um specific scenes to point out uh i i feel like we covered the majority of the ones that i i would want to discuss in detail but but yeah just the overall vibe of this movie is so much fun um how do you feel about i i kind of got almost like a south park type vibe from this movie where it seems like they're making fun of everything and everyone yes everyone is the butt of a joke right but it's not the the movie is not a satire it's definitely more in the farcical side of of that but you're right everyone is the butt of a joke so it's not like I don't know. Like I, I everyone gets that. pooped on. Yeah, everyone and gets pooped on in some way. They should have definitely made more movies like this that are mainstream and accessible to boys like me. When because when I was growing up, I just thought that men had to do everything right, and that women basically like it was my job to do all the work in terms of wooing and romancing a woman. And it's like, no, women are just as self-conscious and goofy when it comes to relationships. When she's sitting in bed and she's like, oh, I should have done this and I should have said this. It was like, yeah, that's a very relatable moment. You know, you're sitting up in bed thinking about all the things you should have done. Right. And and I feel like she has every reason to feel cautious about entering in a relationship because she's got Jonathan a total scumbag. Yeah, he's rich, but he's been divorced three times. You've got the Harvard kid who gets fresh with her. And then when it comes to the sort of made up person that Rock Hudson invents, she's never sure, okay, does he like me too much? Does he not like me enough? Am I okay with this boundary? Is he gay? Is he, you know, there's so much work and anxiety that goes into her process. Like, and and she has every reason not to trust these men because they aren't, none of them are trustworthy. Right. All of them are obsessed with her and trying to own her. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I definitely like how she sent the, I mean, uh, Rock Hudson helped her out, but Doris Day sends that tiny little Harvard boy home drunk crying <sighs> in a cab. Like it was just so sweet because he's, he's such a, a dweeb right from the beginning, but that doesn't mean he's an asshole. But then he does immediately start doing asshole things. And you're like, Oh yeah. He, he basically is tries to rape her. And then he says the thing that rapists say, which is it's your word against mine. Yeah. I'm sorry. I've been marathoning SVU during this core and no, 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 no. And then he's like, Oh yeah, we don't, you know, he, then he's trying to get her drunk so that he can take advantage of her. And he's like, no, Harvard men don't do that only in an emergency. And boy, are you an emergency? Like it's such a fun role to play, but he's not a good person, but he's a fun character. You know, I do like how we kind of play off of how little he is yeah. compared to rock Hudson, right. or I think he's even like a little shorter than Doris day too. Yeah. It's so fun. But yeah, just the fact that he's sent home to his mama in such a disgraceful, disheveled mess. It's so like it would have been funny if there was any kind of follow up on that scene, any kind of callback on that scene, because I wanted to see him get his rom-com poo poo. uh, I think just passing out on the down on the dance floor was as far as they were willing to go. (laughs) But it it was so funny. And then I did like there was some meta aspect as um Jonathan was talking to Brad Allen about, you gotta find a woman, you gotta settle down. And he does. No, but then Johnny's girl. Rock Hudson (laughs) was giving him the uh, John Connor Terminator, like, you can't kill people. Why? Because you just can't. Why? Like, he just kept saying (laughs) why to everything. But it was funny because Rock Hudson was a gay guy. And so it was funny for him to be like, it was funny for Tony Randall to be this sleazy, funny sleazeball guy to be like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta settle down and hook up with a woman. And he's like, why, why do I, you know? So that was pretty funny. Good yeah. question. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know too much more. Uh, I thought it was a very good, very enjoyable movie. Yeah. Oh, I did. I just like, uh, like in the same way of South Parky making fun of everyone, this movie is a farce. I just like how it kind of makes fun of dating as a whole. You know? Yes. Like just the yes. whole dating game is, it's so childish. And these characters are acting so childish, except for Jan. Jan is probably the only one who acts like an adult. Would you say movie. it's childish, though, for her to use her professional position to get revenge on brad allen oh no 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 come on that's that was the most mature revenge <laughs> yeah that was he he well earned that one he well <laughs> earned it. but yeah no she's like the only one who who uh, acts like an adult she is still a little bit immature in the sense that you know she she thinks she can do everything by herself and that she doesn't need a guy, but really it's not about needing a guy. It's about having a romantic partner to share things with and to have fun. You don't get to see her have fun and smile until she starts going out with Rex, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, no, you don't, you don't need other people 
because they need to help you or to protect you from your alcoholism, like the elevator man with uh, Alma. Um, You want to spend your life with other people because it's enjoyable to share with them. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought it was very cute. So who would you kill from this movie, if anyone? I kind of have a feeling like I kind of know who you're going to say because there's the one obvious choice. Yeah, I I feel the choice is pretty obvious. I am going to say 100%, without a doubt, the character I would kill, no second thoughts, the moment that they popped up, I was like, this is the person I'm going to kill. Miss Walters. You're going to put the Ming Dynasty in a rumpus room? Come on, Miss Walters. Get your act together. (laughs) Well, Brett, I've got to give you props. You built it up and you knocked it down. (laughs) Oh, Miss Walters. Yeah. Yeah, that guy was great. He had some good lines in the movie. Yeah, her boss at the interior design store, he, he was incredible. Uh, how about you? I would say um, her son, uh, because I just don't think sexual harassment is funny. Uh, that yeah. was probably the most dated thing in this movie. Whereas, like, meanwhile, Doris Day is being sexually harassed. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree that it's, I mean, it's not a good thing in the movie, right? It's not, a, it's not a good thing that women get harassed and that this is probably an all too common occurrence for most women. But I like how they fit it into the story because she handles it in an aspect where she needs to get to the nightclub so that she can meet cute with Rex Stenson. And she's willing to, to go out on a to, to go on a drink with him because it's good for her business. You know what I mean? Yes. If I go out with, she is a professional. Yeah. If I go out with Miss Watson's son and I'm at this club or bar or whatever, and I'm seen with him and I go and I have one drink, she can clearly handle herself. So that's not the, the issue here, the issue. And it's clearly not about whether or not he is towing any kind of line. Cause he's clearly driven way past the line. But yeah, you've got to get them in the same bar together. So how do you do that? You put her up with an asshole. You put him up with an airheaded floozy, and then you put them together. So I, I agree that it's you know I can find it funny because I'm a white male. But if anyone who says it's not funny, I wouldn't be like, well, you're just being too sensitive. It's like, yeah, it's it's not funny because. Yeah, I would. I've said this before, but I feel strongly that nobody gets to define or decide what people are offended by. If they're offended, that's their feelings, and that's valid. I mean, if you are a comedian or or you're doing something, whether or not you're offensive is one thing, but if you're not funny, you're not funny. And that's really the worst crime of all. So, I mean, you you have to, to reckon with those things at the same time. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, the worst thing is to be not funny and to be boring. And if you're funny and you're not boring, people can tolerate being offended by quite a lot. 
Yeah, a lot of the places or or topics that they they skirt in this movie, I think in most movies are very groan inducing and even offensive yeah. to the fact of like, but you didn't, you just did it for shock value or you did a lazy joke on it. This movie actually takes these offensive premises and puts the comedic twist on them. Right. So it makes them farcical. Yeah. Not anyone can do this. This movie did it well, but that doesn't mean any movie can do it well. In fact, most right. movies do not do it well. No, I think that that is a very good point. Um, yeah, like something like that becomes much more offensive when it's framed in an unfunny and boring movie. Yeah. And I like that this movie had a very Seinfeld curb moment when uh, Jonathan is like, hey, I'm going to go see this lady named Jan, but I'm not going to tell you her last name. So uh, Brad Allen gets out the the whiskey or the, the alcohol and he's basically like, let me loosen you up. You know, that's a very mm-hmm. kind of um, social interaction, playful twist on things. Yeah, no, it definitely had had that that vibe to it. So I got to ask, how hard was it to turn this into a horror movie? Uh, this was very, very, very easy to turn into a horror movie. But that's also because... I agree. I went I went super broad strokes on this one. I put a little bit more time and effort into some of the jokiness of 867 Flirt. Uh, the, the rom-com version of 976 Evil. But for this one, yeah, I just decided to keep it light and vague. And yeah, it's pretty silly, but I like it. Um, did you want to go first? No, I, I feel like you're already, okay. you, you've piqued my interest. Go for it. Okay, so I I think that this movie, uh, I'm going to write a kind of sillier version of it, but if some director wants to take this over and make a do a grittier rewrite, by all means, they can, right? Christopher Nolan, yeah. gritty. <laughs> um, so there's a company, I don't know what the name of the company is, but the company is going to make the most secure dating app ever. And it's supposed to be there. It's going to be marketed towards women. It's going to be protective towards women. It's supposed to get rid of scumbags. And, and you know, it's just the, the whole point is that you don't have to worry about guys using you on this app. It's all about genuine connections. And this app is protecting you. And the app, like I do Duolingo and Duolingo has got the little green owl. And, you know, he like mm-hmm. pops up and he tells you, hey, you're doing a great job. And if you mess up two times in a row, he's like, it's OK to make mistakes. That's how we learn. And you're like, oh, little green owl. Um, or should I say gracias? Um, and so I'm going to have like a character, like a little cartoony type character named Ken, right? Named after the Ken doll. And the app is called Ken Do. Interesting. Interesting. So Ken is going to be your relationship guide and help you find a boyfriend. Ken is the clippy of Tinder. Yes, exactly. Um, And I have to set up the fact that, you know, these are, these are like, remember when we watched It Follows and she had that weird clamshell e-reader type? Uh, The e-reader that I need to be real? Uh, This is going to have a similar thing where like, there's clearly a smartphone, but it's a fake romp 
commie version of a smartphone. So when you go to delete an app, like maybe at the beginning, she's like, I'm fed up with dating. So she deletes all of her dating apps and there's like a hammer that smashes the app. And it's like, it's something silly. Uh, so we have some kind of line that we'll set up later, but the app. Okay. So I'm going to say Jan is the main lady, right? Alma is her roommate. They're in college. They're leaving on spring break. Alma is about to leave and Jan is going to stay for the week. Maybe she's like a, a bookworm or a nerd, or she's got a job or whatever. And so Alma, before Alma leaves, she downloads the new can do app on, on to Jan's phone to be like, oh, she thinks she's all over with dating, but let's try out this new app. And the moment she downloads the new app, we cut to the server room where the guys are working on can do. And the whole thing goes crazy and it all shuts down. But on her phone, the app is still active. And it turns out the app has become a sentient being. And now the app is designed to protect women. So the app is designed <gasps> to protect Jan. So the app is going to start gaslighting the shit out of her, right? <gasps> this is just like Electric Dreams. What is that, a movie or a... It's a movie where a computer falls in love with a human who he hears play cello. Oh, I was thinking her when Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett phone... Well, I thought that... I thought that... But that one, does does her fall in love with him? It's a little bit of both. He he definitely falls for her big time. Well, no, in in Electric Dreams, it's the computer that falls for the girl. Gotcha. Uh, Yeah, so it's very much along those lines. And because, you know, no one reads the terms and conditions, of course, (laughs) Elma or Jan, maybe Jan is like, oh, what did Elma download on my phone? Oh, well, accept terms and conditions. I'll delete it later. The app can change things in her phone. So it starts to begin to like make fake profiles where like these men are all messaging her and they're like the perfect guy. But then on a dime, they switch and they flip into an asshole or the app will set up dates with people and then no one will show up. So the app is like no calling, no showing, standing her up. And stuff like that. And it's it's like starting to separate her away from her family where maybe her mom will text her like, hey, haven't heard from you in a while. But then the app will change the message to kind of make it sound like, hey, we haven't heard from you in a while. You need to get back to like, you know, make it sound mean. And then, you know, Jan will be like huffy, puffy and like, oh, and so she'll start like distancing herself from her parents and her teachers no so the app is basically doing a total mind fuck on her and then you know it's like 2001 space odyssey right like you know hail and and whatnot and then we're gonna cut to like an elon musk kind of guy you know how elon musk has that chip he wants to put in people's brains now uh, I didn't know that that was among the things he's working on. Well, yeah, so Elon Musk is a pretty cool guy, but he also is... Supervillain. A supervillain. <laughs> he is he is a legit, off-his-rocker, crazy supervillain. And he, one of the things he wants to do is put chips in people's minds. And so we're going to basically have like a Frankenstein's monster, Elon monster kind of guy where they put a chip into someone's head and then the app 
you know, matrixy hell connects its way into cyberspace. Oh, so now he has a body. So now he has a body. And so now he's going to go around and he's going to kill the parents and the teacher and the friend. So anyone who gets in the way. Exactly. So it's like anyone who has a connection with her, he's going to start killing so that he can have her all for himself and protect her. Right. Just like, like is Susie good for spike? No. Who's good for spike hoax hoax is good for spike um so maybe like they have a fight in a car garage because maybe like the app knows everything about jan oh can he start the computers in the cars and make them like lunge at her that would be i didn't think about that but yes that'd be awesome if they were in like an automated machine thing and she had to like fight off these robot things too but um at the at the end though, she takes a sledgehammer and it's basically a callback to like when the phone does a little cartoony thing where it breaks the app. Oh, and she nice has to callback. like bring him and it's like a little callback or something. And so, you know, she can have a cool one liner where it's like, Are you sure you want to delete this app? And it's like, You bet your ass. At the beginning, she's like, You bet I do, and she deletes all her apps, and then at the end he's like, You do you really want to destroy me? And she's like, You bet I do. <laughs> and she smashes his head and then you know uh even though it's sad because the parents and the teachers and the friends die but we'll have something where like alma was mostly dead but then she was like not really dead she was alive the whole time he only stabbed close elevator man saved her yeah and so that's the end is you know like yeah, but then the real end, right? Because every horror movie has to have it set up to a oh, sequel. Oh, post credit, a yeah. post credit sequence. The the real end is that you know they cut back to the guy who's working on the server for the Can Do app, and he's like, "I've tried everything. I don't know what to do." And the investor's like, "Well, if you can't get it up and running in the next ten seconds, I'm pulling the funding." And he's like, "All right, I guess I'll just try to turn it off and on again." And when he does the spirit of can do the, the evil AI spirit Uh. goes back to its home base. And then the investors like, Oh, it's working again, you know, send it out to the app store. And then millions of people start downloading it. And it's like, Whoa, scary. This could happen in real life. Nice. I, I like, I like that uh, franchise setup. Yeah. Can do bit of a stretch but i'll take it i like it yeah so how about yours how did you make phone calls scary (laughs) so mine is a little bit um again you know i cannot keep myself away from a good thriller Mm -hmm. i love them and then after we watched rear window i i think that i just you know I rented an apartment in Thriller Land, and I haven't left yet. Uh, so I called this one Call for Help, you know, because it's fun. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> and uh, I kept the the basic premise. Oh, by the way, I wanted to say I love the idea of Jan as a final girl. I think that we're we're definitely on the same page there. Uh, so Jan, she's a successful interior decorator, single lady living in New York city. One problem that jackass she has to share a party line with Brad Allen, a songwriter. He's always using the phone to talk to his girlfriends, blah, blah. They often get into fights, but 
One day when Jan picks up the phone, she hears something different from Brad flirting with his girlfriends. Jan thinks that she hears the unmistakable sounds of a woman being murdered. And maybe oh, we'll make it oh sound because, you know, here's one of the things is, you know, you mentioned that some of the worst kills are the ones that you don't see. Right. So since this movie focuses on one murder, I want it to sound really really bad so jan is just you know beside herself and i'm sorry she, did you say this was the 60s or is this i i mean i guess we could keep the same time period because i i want there to be some plausibility as far as people not believing jan mm-hmm. so remember when she reports brad to the phone company they basically are like, lady, stop wasting our time. He's perfect. And then they uh, send in a marshmallow to put out a bonfire. <laughs> that was a great <laughs> line. Uh, so she hears the murder. She calls the police to report the crime. But when they come back to her, they say they sent someone over who found absolutely nothing. And if she doesn't back off, they'll go after her for filing a false police report. But Jan is indignant. She heard what she heard. She's going to find out the truth herself. First, she goes to the telephone company, but because of their own internal policies and Jan's hostile history with Brad, they won't give her the info. So maybe she manages to steal it while the company rep is distracted. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then because she's an interior decorator, she has the idea to cross-reference Brad's home address with known client addresses for her interior design service. And then she finds the firm that worked with Brad and then uses that as her cover to go over to Brad's place and offer a discount on a redesign of his apartment. And then she gives her her, she gives a fake name of Regina Stetson. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so under the cover of redesigning his space, she starts to look around, but she can't find any clues. However, maybe the way that Brad plays it here is is very ambiguous, where it's like, is he a normal guy or is he making weird references to killing people? Or, you know, everything he says could have a double meaning to where we're really not sure what kind of person Brad is. Very, it's uh, a very Hitchcock thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there is a Hitchcock movie where this woman marries um, uh, Cary Grant, and she's not sure if he's Cary Grant or if he's a murderer. And he plays it very ambiguous to where it's like, is this guy just a scumbag or did he actually kill someone or is he going to kill her? Um, So that's kind of the same vibe that I would want Brad to have. Uh, But he asks her out. She accepts. Uh, And then she starts to feel conflicted as she gets to know him. Like, is this the guy? Am I crazy? Is what I heard not what it was? Uh, Meanwhile, um, Brad and Jan have a mutual contact they don't know about, Jonathan Forbes. Jonathan, a thrice-divorced man of wealth, has asked Jan to marry him several times, but she keeps refusing. When Jan begins to ignore Jonathan as she investigates the murder... Jonathan gets jealous and hires an investigator. So Jonathan is furious when he learns Brad is the man that Jan has been seeing. He confronts Brad first, but then Brad reacts in surprise. 
Jan Morrow, you mean the bitch on the phone? I've never met that hag in real life. And maybe in this version, he's a lot more sexist sure. than he was. <laughs> uh, and then Jonathan shows Brad the picture of Jan, and Brad says, well, that's Regina. Uh, so then later that night at dinner, Brad confronts her. She drops the act. She demands that he confess what he did. He tells her that she's crazy, that he never wants to see her again because she betrayed him and broke his heart. He tells her that she thought that she was the one. Uh, So Jan goes home depressed and Jonathan is at her apartment waiting for her. Why Brad, he asked. Doesn't she know how awful he is? He's a playboy. Why did you lie? And Jan explains that she heard over the phone in graphic detail, this murder. And that's when Jonathan gets real quiet and real still. Uh, and Jonathan tries to make Jan think maybe she heard something else, but she's convinced it was a murder. And Jonathan says, you leave me no choice. And then he lunges at Jan, a fight ensues in the apartment. And maybe at the same time that this is happening, Brad's hanging around his apartment and then he flips one of his switches and the Murphy bed unrolls and a corpse comes out or something, you know, something really <laughs> shocking. Like if God, there was a Hitchcock movie, it would be like not just a corpse, but it would be like a full on Halloween skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. The the decomposure yeah. of the body it would be very uh unscientific. But but the idea that at the same time that this fight happens, Brad realizes that both Brad and Jan realize that Jonathan is the murderer. So as the fight is getting fatal, Brad shows up and he and Jan manage to fight Jonathan off, uh, knock him out. And then when the police come and Jonathan is being led out, Brad asks him why he murdered someone in his apartment. And Jonathan just says, they always choose you. Mm. The end. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wasn't it Lady Eve where you did a Hitchcock thriller twist? Oh, yeah, where she had amnesia and they were trying to trick her into being acting like his dead wife. And then she remembers that she is the dead wife. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do. uh, When when you go Hitchcock, you do a very good. I just love thrillers. Yeah, older movies are definitely right up your alley because you're you're good at them. No, I, I, I mean, not to toot my own horn or anything, but I did take a course on film noir. Ooh. Um, yeah, no, I did, but I, I paid a lot of money to do it, uh, and it was very fun. <laughs> um, As most college-level courses are. Yeah. Paid too much money for them. It was more fun than educational. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think these are some fun movies. Uh, I Like I said, I was not expecting to like either one of these. I mean, 976 Evil just sounds like a bad movie. And Pillow Talk sounds like a movie that I wouldn't necessarily like. But both of these movies were fun to watch, to review, to remix. This is fun. 
I couldn't agree more. I mean, well, I, I feel like it goes without saying that I'm already an avowed Pillow Talk fan simply right. because I manipulated the theme to allow me to watch this movie again. I don't know. There's been a bunch of movies where I'm, where, where I'll say to Sonia, like, oh, we got to go back and watch this or that. Because, you know, like some more Veronica Lake movies. I've never seen this Gun for Hire. So this gun for hire is so good. And then there's also the glass key, the blue Dahlia, all three of those movies are Alan Ladd and Veronica Lake. Uh, talk about another couple that has amazing chemistry together. And then they're perfect for each other because they're both teeny tiny people. Like she's four foot nine and I don't know, he's like five, five or something. Yeah. Um, but Yeah. I think uh, I think a lot of these older movies are. I, when I first watched Giant, that was probably the first Elizabeth Taylor movie that I had seen. That was like a legit old school Elizabeth Taylor movie. This was probably the first Doris Day movie I've seen that I can. This is a good Doris Day gateway. Yeah, so a lot of these people are in Rock Hudson. I'd never seen a Rock Hudson movie till Giant and this movie. And yeah, he's just got buckets of charm. Oh yeah, and I could, I, I really got to do like a whole week of Tony Randall or something because oh, he's brilliant. It's so good. <laughs> um, yeah, but I'm so I'm curious. Is your love bite for this one going to be tangential to? How dare you know me so well? Uh, Yes, it is. My love bite for this episode, I'm going to recommend another older film called Bells Are Ringing. It is a musical and it is about an answering service operator. So you know how back in the day people shared phone lines. Uh, Well, back in the day, There was no such thing as an answering machine. Uh, I think answering machines were actually invented maybe in the 70s, if I recall correctly. But in the 50s and 60s, if you were a very important person and you missed calls, you hired an answering service where an operator would take messages for you. So the heroine of Bells Are Ringing is an operator And she has multiple clients from an opera singer to a doctor to this songwriter who, much like Rock Hudson, is kind of a playboy Mm -hmm. songwriter. And she, the heroine in this movie, does all these different voices Mm. for every person. And so when she talks to the songwriter, she pretends to be an old woman. But then one day he's about to miss this very important deadline and she knows that he can't miss it. So she goes to his apartment herself. And now we have a false identity plot where he doesn't know that she is the operator who helps him all the time. And then, you know, romance and comedy ensue. But this is just one of my favorite musicals ever. It's about a service, telephone service operator. And it's just so, so cute. Uh, Vincent Minnelli is the director. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's a very cinematic musical. Uh, and it's very, very enjoyable. Very nice. Bells are ringing. Bells are ringing. I can, I mean, all you have to do is say, you know, like an older 
uh, what decade is it from? 50s? I think it's 50s or it it might be more 60s because Dean Martin is the lead. Uh, But yeah, if you say a 50s, 60s. Prime Rat Pack era. uh, Yeah, if you say a a 50s, 60s musical set in an answering machine operator type setting, like I can already see the sets and the dancing and the numbers. And yeah, that sounds like fun. Yes, it is. So do you have another love bite for us here? I do. Speaking of fun movies, I have probably one of the most fun movies ever made. Uh, Sonia and I went to the drive-in to go see Jurassic Park. Huh? A dinosaur? Uh, (laughs) Huh? It's Jurassic Park, I think, is one of the best movies ever made. It's some of the best music. It's so good all around. It's just so good. I mean, it's one of those movies that changed movies forever. Spielberg's got a few of those under his belt, but it, it, I really like there really is a sort of pre Jurassic Park, post Jurassic Park benchmark in cinema, which is like, no, there was movies before this and after this. And this movie is a benchmark for a reason because it's so freaking good. I mean, I don't have to tell you to see it because you've probably already seen it. Like everyone's seen this movie. Everyone likes this movie. It was just so nice to go see it on the big screen, but see it like it was nice to see it at a drive-in because it's been forever since I've been that to a sounds drive-in. sounds cute. Yeah. And you get to go and have like the theater experience and the date night experience, but you also don't have to be around people. Everyone else is in their cars off to themselves. So you get to like talk during the movie and, you know, which if you're watching a movie with your significant other, you know, there's a difference between talking during a movie and being rude at a movie theater and talking with your significant other and kind of like, you know, the way I can describe it, I don't know the, the right words for it, but we don't talk about the movie. We talk with the movie. You know what I mean? Like I talk at movies. Yeah. So we, we say like, Oh, oh, Dr. Grant, he really doesn't like kids. And we'll talk to each other about how much he really doesn't like kids because we know, obviously, at the end of the movie, he's going to be with the kids, you know? So we, we just like playing into the scene, like, oh, how could this possibly happen? Or, you know, so it's just fun to to watch the movie and be energetic and be charismatic and Jurassic Park. Yeah, man. Yeah, I need to. It's it's been a minute since I've watched it. Oh yeah, it's come out in movies like every two or three years. It gets another re-release. <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah, my parents wouldn't let me see it when I was a kid. I was seven at the time, and they wouldn't let me see it. And I was so mad at them. I was so so mad at them for not letting me see it. And then when a year later, when it came out on VHS, and I finally did see it pretty sure i had nightmares that night that movie is terrifying for kids <laughs> the velociraptors are terrifying yeah i, I can't remember i can't remember the the fear from back then but uh but i do remember being scared they are very efficient murderers <laughs> and they're trying to kill children well, on that note, on the killing children, um, should we do some housekeeping and wrap things up since we I, need to land this plane? Yeah, I think so. You can uh, you can always email us, necromancerpodcast at gmail.com. 
We are on Instagram as the Necromancer Podcast and Facebook and Twitter as Necromancer Pod. And then uh, like, share, subscribe, share, like, subscribe, review. Share, review, like. Share. Um, yeah. Do all that stuff because it helps. Thank you. It does. All right. Smell y'all later. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.